0: Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Joshua Maltz, Senior Vice President, Revenue Operations and Strategy at User Testing. User Testing enables organizations to understand what it's like to be their customer with a video first experience testing platform with a global opt in network of contributors. Joshua is an accomplished leader with an extensive experience in revenue operations, strategic planning, financial analysis, profit productivity improvement, sales acceleration, and operating efficiency in companies ranging from private startups to Fortune 500 global corporations. In this episode, Joshua discusses the importance of building deep relationships with leadership teams, avoiding tech stack pitfalls, and that a better customer experience begins with a better employee experience. But first, a brief word from our sponsor.
1: Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com.
0: And now please enjoy this interview with Joshua Maltz, Senior Vice President, Revenue Operations and Strategy at User Testing, and your host, Ian Faison.
1: Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by a special guest. Josh, how are you?
2: I'm fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here, Ian.
1: Yeah, pleasure to have you on the show. Excited to chat about user testing, all the cool RevOps stuff that you're doing there. As always, our show is presented by Qualified. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. Josh, let's get into it. How the heck did you get into RevOps?
2: Yeah, I'll give a a bit of an atypical answer here. I'll go back. Before my professional days, I was uh, editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper. And I can think back to those days and just being fascinated in kind of the interplay of content and the business aspect. I went to a public school. We absolutely had to be selling ads to fund our paper. For the breadth of the publication, we needed to provide a quality product to uh, drive up our readership, to get those advertisers interested to place. And I I can just remember from those early years, being kind of enamored with all of the interrelations there. Even taking me through to to college at Berkeley, shout out to all the Cal alums there. I kind of followed up that again, working at the newspaper at the Daily Californian and, and focusing on sales. I was Pounding the pavement, walking the streets, selling to local restaurants and shops, and very much thinking about territory planning and analyzing what was giving me better win rates, highlighting to competitors how they were being upstaged by one another. I remember serving pizza clients like Fat Slice and, and Blondies oh, yeah. uh, on Telegraph Ave and comparing and contrasting which, which ads they were running and what was effective with the student population. And you know, building on that, my professional career actually started in finance, which I, I don't think is unusual for, for rev ops professionals, but core financial planning, as well as controllership responsibilities. So I I started my career with Sybase, had the opportunity to, to really manage the global forecasting and planning processes, and really get an appreciation for the inner workings of Finance with the frontline sales teams, and it was outside base that I had an opportunity, which should have been just a six-week assignment, went out to Hong Kong and filled in for the FP&A leader in Asia Pacific. Really, for me, it was the act of getting outside of company headquarters, being on the ground with the local country representatives in Asia Pacific at the time. You know, so much growth and diversity between China, India. Southeast Asia had the opportunity to be offered a full-time role out there and it turned into an 11-year run, really pivoted into leadership positions in strategy planning and operations for the regional outfits of larger tech companies such as Cisco Systems, BT Global Services, and When coming back to the States 2015, what was most important to me was really building and leveraging those experiences of what good looks like at scale. And I I was very much targeted on um, seeing how best I could leverage my skill set to smaller companies that were on a growth journey. The past five years, having the pleasure of leading the revenue operations team at user testing through a successful IPO. A recent acquisition and merger by Tama Bravo has just been a a fantastic experience. Yeah. So tell me more about uh, the RevOps team at at User Testing. So it's gone through quite a few iterations from the time I I joined five years ago. I mean, we were pretty lean and scrappy when I joined a team of about four uh, that were focused on what I'd consider more core sales operations and, and commercial management, deal desk, type of functions. As we scaled on our journey, 200 million plus, on the way to an IPO, we really structured ourselves to, to cover the entire life cycle of the customer. So starting top of final marketing ops, the core sales operations function, also customer success, and getting a deep understanding and appreciation for what drives retention. And uh, user testing, we couple those building blocks with a very critical focus on enablement to, to make sure that we're bringing the customer-facing, critical team members along on the journey and equipping them to be successful. Uh, we also carry the outbound, the, uh, the business development reps to, to drive pipeline creation and still the, the commercial aspect of the business, so pricing strategy coupled with the, the deal desk report into rev ops user testing.
1: So so sorry, it actually reports into uh
2: to revops or were you saying that you manage like the the outbound piece of that? I directly manage the outbound piece oh, no, of that. Okay. It's it's a part of this consolidated RevOps team. Yes.
1: Oh that's that's super fascinating. I didn't realize that. Why the why the switch to to consolidate those things?
2: Great question. I am... Um, for us, it was a matter of understanding what was working, what wasn't working throughout the go-to-market and how we could best pair like-minded teams to drive results. For user testing, we've been blessed with a really healthy inbound lead flow and generation that contributed healthily to our growth. And as we focus more on the enterprise business, we, we recognized we really needed to separate out an inbound-focused SDR responsibility from an outbound-focused, what we call business development reps yeah. today. Um, so having those BDRs you know, report into revenue operations, be coupled with the enablement team, have a tightness in the relationship with sales leadership, as well as the closeness with marketing campaigns and the messaging has proved to be su- super valuable.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of that. I mean, I hear on our marketing podcast that we do we talk all the time about how have an outbound be be a marketing function, but I've never heard of it as a rev ops function. That's super fascinating.
2: Yeah, and in my mind, it's the um, the reporting line isn't always the critical piece. It's the sure the management, the common KPIs that we look at. We actually made a recent switch to have our sales development group report directly into marketing, which I think is going to be a fantastic move to get that even greater closeness with the demand gen team. I I think the outbound piece has been very valuable to be a part of the RevOps family and really promoting for that whole unit, a growth, a career growth trajectory into sales as well. How unique is this about your
1: organization? Because this is super unique and I'm so fascinated by it. It seems like with that setup, you would have a really good understanding of how the pipeline looks uh, and the different triggers if it's, you know, reporting into you. And like you said, I guess, you know, it doesn't really matter who it reports to, but for y'all, it is this way. One of the common problems that a lot of people have is sort of that rev ops falling, you know, primarily under sales or, or primarily under marketing or sort of not being able to look at it holistically. It seems like you're looking at it extremely holistically in terms of these functions of inbound and outbound, not being even under sales functions. Like, do you feel like it adds a level of Increase like transparency and
2: visibility. In my mind, you know, RevOps very much needs to be perceived as this neutral agency within the company. Having probably grown up with a finance background and having at uh, different companies reported, you know, into a, a function led by the CFO, by the COO, or the CRO, my motto has always been regardless of reporting line, I'm going to reach out and build deep relationships with the leadership teams throughout the company of of those supporting functions. And in this case, with the BDRs, it's absolutely about ensuring you've got that closeness in relationship, closeness in agreement and understanding on the go-to-market priorities with the CMO uh, and the CRO. And, you know, to, to your specific question, Ian, you know, it's an ongoing study on what's happening in the pipeline. And we're we're constantly looking at the life cycle and where does the deal velocity slow down. There's been periods during the last five years where it, it could be early stage where we've seen for specific campaigns, perhaps the messaging wasn't resonating and we needed to find a, a different way to connect with certain buyers and personas, and and we wanted to utilize a, you know, a different type of approach for opening the door. At other times, especially over the last few years, be it when COVID first hit or the financial downturn of the last year, there's other levers, there's other specific points within the sales cycle that can trigger slowness and can trigger concerns with the buyer. And it's very important to look at your sales life cycle on a trended basis and understanding what's changing quarter to quarter, year to year. Because if you think the buyer-seller relationship is just static, you're going to be surprised unpleasantly um, very frequently.
1: Yeah. Any other things that are uh, unique about your RevOps team?
2: I would highlight our our enablement function. I think we have we have a world-class enablement team and. Again, on the growth journey, when, when I joined 12 sellers, heavily focused SMB and mid-market, and we've built you know, 100 plus that are very focused on enterprise and global, the enablement team has really done a fantastic job at allowing us to go through periods of hyper growth, getting new hires up to speed, understanding our product positioning, but also treating it on an iterative basis, providing coaching feedback and very important to me, it's a two-direction measure. I, I always take the approach as a, a RevOps leader, you absolutely do not know everything. You you need to be listening. Your um, customer-facing employees are the ones that can give you the latest and most important critical information. And our enablement team having that close relationship with our sellers is able to really constantly feedback, what's resonating, what's not, where do we need to consider tweaks? So I I would definitely put a focus and stress on the enablement aspect of the team.
1: Yeah. Interesting having enablement be part of it. Again, you know, like why why that decision and where else where else would it go, do you think? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I can share with you when when I first joined at user testing, our our enablement leader reported directly to the chief revenue officer, and that that did work very well. I think that elevated the platform of enablement. But again, for me in org design, it is looking about where can you couple leadership that just kind of one plus one equals three and get these fantastic synergies that pay off and with our enablement leader and many of the operational leaders, we're able to have this constant tweaking and constant mindset of improving our sales process and life cycle to provide a a better experience, ultimately for our customers, but absolutely for all of our internal customer-facing employees to be more effective in their jobs. It seems like you have sort of corralled resources Around the actual
1: salespeople in a way with like surrounding them in a nice warm blanket of marketing and rev ops, <laughs> and it feels kind of like a lot of times the best rev ops teams do that is they're really just allowing the sellers to just sell and pulling those extracting those insights and ideas and best practices and all that sort of stuff, pulling you know different levers to see how you could get deals done faster or accelerate sticky points and all that stuff. Curious how you think about sales.
2: I think you're spot on in the way you described it where, you know, I'm at a company where we're selling a platform to get our customers closer to their end users and kind of bridging that empathy gap. Yeah. And the way that I look at our job as revops professionals to set up customer-facing employees for ultimate success and the sales team for success, it is about creating that that fluid best-in-class experience uh, for the employee. And ultimately that's what we're trying to to drive. We're wanting to delight our customers, but at the same time for our internal employees to do the the job of their lives, for our sellers to be high-performing, we need to be thinking through their lens. We need to understand what's driving an efficiency what's creating roadblocks for them identifying opportunity. And and you're right, I, I think the RevOps construct that, that we've built at user testing, it's very much with the goal of making the, the sales experience optimized and creating a kind of a, a single intake, if that makes sense for the uh for the sales team, rather than needing to bounce around to, to finance, to legal, to many different stakeholders. We want, we want to shepherd them in, in a streamlined fashion to get the answers, the guidance, and the knowledge they need to be successful in their jobs.
1: All right, that's it. We're done with the Rev opening. Let's get to our next segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle.
0: An obstacle to
1: what? where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps. What's the hardest RevOps problem you faced in the last six months or so?
2: In terms of the, the biggest obstacle in the last six months, where you know we've recently been acquired, user testing and user Zoom has merged over the past really weeks. And as you can imagine, it's going through a merger of similarly sized companies. It's very exciting. It's a great experience for the new combined company but it can be a daunting task in terms of all of the dynamics of designing the blended org, figuring out territories that are best set up to allow our our company to thrive and to set our sellers, our customer success representatives up for a, a great trajectory ahead, as well as, again, delighting our customers. And the challenge here was really wrapping your arms around a two different tool sets, two different data sets, and, and forging a path forward.
1: We always talk about RevOps as the zipper, but when you're merging, uh, it really is a zipper. Yeah, merging those sort of go-to-markets, your sort of RevOps teams, all that stuff.
2: It's very much kind of that go slow to go fast framework where we wanted to take a step back and ensure we had a clear understanding about the existing ideal customer profile that both companies were operating under, getting a deeper view around existing install base, territory, establishments. And then it's really about ensuring that the partnership with the go-to-market leadership, with your sales leaders, marketing leaders, customer success leaders, to be on the same page as to what are we truly building for the future company. You know, With all of those inputs, go through the exercise of ensuring that you're carving appropriately, you're setting up territories for success. Very important to me when you go through these types of transitions for MA activity in the past, I've seen cases where unnecessarily you, you rip away account executives that had fantastic relationships with their existing customers. So again, putting weight on the, the health of that continuity and coverage as well. It's not a straightforward formula. You need to really take the time to understand those variables, use your tech stack to draw out the right insights, and then land on a design where all the supporting go-to-market functions together are on the same page and can sign off together.
1: Is it helpful when both companies have the first 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 name?
2: <laughs> that, is, that is true. That's a that's a unique one here.
1: Yeah, pretty unique. What's your biggest rev oops moment?
2: Biggest rev oops moment... Um, is related to to rolling out our put to cash solution with, with CPQ. There we, you know, we did not follow the go slow to go fast mantra. And in many ways, again, with with all of the intent of having a end-to-end fantastic automated solution to unlock efficiency, we just hadn't taken the time to think about all of the corner cases and sure that we got key stakeholder feedback and it was a painful deployment. There's no no other way to say it. I mean, we, we have world-class systems team, deal desk with all of the right intent, but we pushed ourselves on a timeline that just didn't allow that initial successful moment. And it was a, bi- a big learning process where we did have the opportunity to go back, get it right, make iterations, put in place building blocks. But it just really reminds you when you have these big structural releases that are, are going to be so foundational to your company. You want to make time for testing. You want to make time to get that key stakeholder feedback. And if you take shortcuts, you know, it, it is going to, to burn you. So I think it was a big, big learning experience for many of our team members. Yeah. Any other,
1: um, rev obstacles or rev oopses or anything there?
2: I guess a, another thread on the, the rev oops is it, jumping to assumptions. I, we live in a world where there can be anecdotes that people want to seize onto. And I think on the analytical side, when you think about the key KPIs that um, you know user testing or many other SaaS companies dive into, it's so important to be multi-threaded and really understand what's changing throughout the entire life cycle and certainly run into issues where we thought we had a big aha moment in terms of something dramatically changing with a key KPI, but then taking a step back and looking in the larger context. That would be one where I just, I'm a big believer in ensuring that you're looking at multiple lenses when conducting analysis. Yeah, that's great.
1: All right, let's get to our next segment, The Tool Shed.
2: Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and mom a favor? Get off that
1: shed. This is my favorite place. (laughs) The Tool Shed.
0: Get off the shed!
1: We're talking tools, spreadsheets, and metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B Tool Shed is complete without Qualified. Go to qualified.com right now to check them out. The best tool in every RevOps Leader's toolkit, that's for sure. Josh. What's in your toolkit?
2: There's a lot. It it would take me a long time to go through that entire shed, but I'll, (laughs) I'll talk through some highlights. Salesforce is our CRM. Pretty much every company I've been at over the last couple decades, that's been table stakes to build out your integrated tool set. Marketo, from an automation standpoint, how we're driving the top of the funnel activity and insights. We use Tableau for data visualization. Drift, we recently moved to for for managing our live chat. HighSpot for storing our enablement assets and ensuring that it's a clean, streamlined view for our customer-facing folks to engage. Use outreach for sequencing. And then in terms of contacts, company, intelligence, Zoom Info is where we've really landed in, in recent years as a best landing spot. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot of those things, like you said, are, are table stakes now.
1: Um, what are the things that you're pushing into that are a little bit more at the cutting edge, and things that
2: you're trying to push the limits of, or or just stuff that you're testing and checking out? Sixth sense and kind of gaining deeper insights on intent data, I mm-hmm. think, is is one that you know across marketing and sales, we have a huge amount of excitement around the potential there. We do follow what I consider to be a pretty classic sales cycle model where we start at the top of the funnel with inquiries and mqls for those of you out there that are not yet using intent data but getting getting that data and insight as to who's engaging with your brand your your website as a means to really revolutionize the way that we engage with our ideal customer profile and being able to over time layer that to understand their buyer journey layer that with a knowledge of which verticals we typically win at and which particular departments do we need to engage. We're still early stages in terms of leveraging all of the insights that intent data can provide, but this is one where I'm super excited in terms of how you know how this can change the game and open up new means of us getting closer with our customers.
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, the the tools that can give you more information about what's happening on your website and intent and all the ABM platforms are really exciting. Obviously, you know, tools like Qualified are amazing sponsor of figuring out who the heck is coming to your website, how to talk to them faster. I like that you said revolutionary because that's what it feels like. It feels like a shift. And I think there is some, you know, scuttlebutt about sort of like using ABM as a term and the vendors creating it, and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, it's true. I mean, it, it feels really different. Uh, and it feels like when you're not investing in those things, you kind of don't know what you're missing.
2: Absolutely. I think doing, again, kind of doing the homework, understanding how other companies are leveraging some of these newer technologies. But you're absolutely right. If you're not leveraging intent data, you're missing an entire you know, sea of of data and insights that can be shaping your sales cycles in an entirely different way. What about some metrics that matter to you? I mean, with metrics, its I mean, this is an area I'm very passionate about where, you know, philosophically, it's really about establishing that balanced view between leading and lagging indicators for demand gen all the way through to sales, where, again, if you're only focused on one piece of the puzzle, you can pretty much fall off a cliff in terms of the business health quickly. So today, in, in terms of that life cycle, it, you know, I break it into different quadrants where we're looking at the demand gen. And like we talked about earlier, understanding marketing qualified leads. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about our BDRs and their pairing with account execs to generate, you know, sales qualified leads, sales generated leads, and understanding what are the win rates there, which specific campaigns and efforts are paying off and where are we seeing the ROI. But then following that, it you know, it turns into activity. And with our SDRs and, and BDRs, what is the activity, be it number of emails, calls, buyer interactions that are taking place that allow for that sweet spot where we know Not every single buyer is the same. I mean, I've got colleagues that will pick up the phone for every unknown spam potential call they they get. They're crazy. I I don't. I can't. I I couldn't keep up with it.
1: No way. Are you kidding me? There's no, I mean, I, I get 50 emails, maybe not a day, but I get at least 15, just emails.
2: Absolutely. And then it's about fi- finding the balance. I mean, knowing that, yes, there's those outliers that will pick up their phone on all those occasions, but others that need prompts via email or LinkedIn and making sure that we find the sweet spot for that multi-touch via activity. And then measuring there, where where are we finding our sweet spot? It really gets into understanding the pipeline. We can go super deep. And at, at our company, it's it's very much that we bring together leadership to study the pipeline deeply in terms of knowing what's changed in the average sales cycle, getting forward looking in terms of that pipeline to quota coverage ratio, understanding win rates and where... Where are they spiking and where are they challenged on an ongoing basis? And kind of connecting the the metrics on the pipeline side, it is about turning your lens to to performance. And obviously on the journey when we were VC backed, fairly high growth on the, the road to be IPO. And definitely once a public company, that forecast accuracy becomes so paramount and important. And again, knowing when to Add fuel to the fire, and when to add reps, and and get that total target attainment balance becomes critical. And for SaaS, it's all about retention as well. So, getting those customer insights as to where you know where is adoption successful, where is healthy usage, or where are there gaps. You know, we're very deep in analyzing gross retention, so ensuring that we have a, a healthy amount of our existing customers renewing and and coming back in focus, as well as net retention. So understanding what's the growth on top of that existing contract to ensure that we're driving some healthy expansion and, and showing more value to our customers.
1: Specifically with Outbound, because you run it, I'm curious, any metrics on stuff that you're talking about, number of calls, number of emails, any things that you see uh, out there?
2: Yeah, I'd call it a delicate balance. I've been at companies where there's such a focus on ensuring there's volume that, again, you can get into kind of what many term that spray and pray approach where we're very much focused on inspecting the quality, making sure that the BDRs are taking the time to research the companies, understand the person that they're speaking out to and re- relate to topics that are going to be relevant for them. Sure, we, we don't want to see an, a number of outbound touches fall to an unhealthy level, but it's more so important to ensure that the quality of the interaction, the partnership and the planning with the account exec to understand what are those high-priority companies and verticals and personas that you want to be engaging with, that becomes you know, such a critical aspect of, of the job and the coaching and the in- inspection that we want to provide for their success. Any blind spot that you have that you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could measure this better? Blind spot, I would lean towards sales plays where hmm. we have this fantastic solution, uh, user testing can provide insights to any customer, any vertical to get closer to their users and informing them to make better decisions about the way they run their business, the way they design their product solutions and experiences. And for us, designing sales plays and thinking through the right messaging and making sure we're getting that feedback loop from our reps as to what's landing and what's not, that's still one I haven't fully cracked. We've created the fields, we've tried to capture the particular plays being run. But unless you take the time to really listen to calls or survey reps at large, which obviously you can't conduct on an ongoing basis, we need to find a way to better capture those insights as they're happening. And that's a sales play insight, is one that definitely high on the list to solve for. Yeah, that's great.
1: Any thoughts on sort of, marketing attribution there's sort of boring thoughts on attribution and having it not work and this new sort of the self-identify thing working really well to find out more information there just curious on on attribution and also multi-touch and abm and all the stuff like this you're not sourcing a lead in
2: traditional ways a lot of times anymore anyways absolutely a big believer in studying multi-touch attribution i mean i I've been at companies where we go back and forth in terms of analyzing, is the the lead source kind of the holy grail? Where did this individual originate from? And I've always believed it's critical to understand what are the touch points on that sales journey that get you across the line. So we do, you know we're blessed with a fantastic marketing ops team that recently actually spun out from our RevOps team, reports into a group that we call the Digital Demand Center. Buried the lead? I didn't know that. Yep, exactly. And they're able to give us just really fantastic insights into different segments, different campaigns that are providing effectiveness on the sales journey. As you start to learn about that multi-touch attribution, you can think through for different segments and verticals of the market, where do we want to place a campaign if, if a sales cycle is stuck Where do we want to nurture leads that have gone cold? Where do we want to provide supporting information or invite groups to important events as they're at later stages as well? So absolutely getting that insight to not just understanding the lead sources, but the influence of multi-touch is critical.
1: Any other uh, cool stuff that you're doing with data? I don't know if you're pro-spreadsheet or anti-spreadsheet or any other spreadsheet thoughts.
2: Lots of spreadsheet thoughts. I mean, I, we're trying as much as possible to to build automation and, and scale through tools like Tableau, where we can build CAN reports and set set a broad array of users up to be more self-serve because I certainly don't have the number of RevOps analysts that can be engaging with employees throughout the company on a regular basis. I think in ter- in terms of broad spreadsheet thoughts, you know it's interesting i think one is really about visual representation i've definitely worked at companies and with colleagues that love to experiment with all sorts of views beautiful pie charts and others i i'm very much of the mindset that a trended view is usually your best default position where you're wanting to understand how things change over time I, I view RevOps as needing to be historians that kind of understand how we got to present day and helping to predict and, and guide our go-to market leaders on where to make the best decisions for the path forward and you know just a snapshot view of data at one point in time via a pie chart it just tells such a small slice of the the overall story so that that would be one. In terms of favorites, there's a few that I'd point to. I think one is is very much studying and understanding your close loss reasons and your your churn and down sell reasons. This, again, understanding over time what's changed. Has there been a new competitor that emerged? Has the economy changed so that budgets are drying up? That's one where you just need to stay on top. Another view like I alluded to in the metrics discussion earlier, very much important to understand pipeline trends over time from a few perspectives. We like to layer win rates as well as seeing deal slippage and what pushes to future quarters all in, in the same view. So you can understand over time look, am I, are my number of losses piling up? Or am I having a sales cycle slowness? What's truly happening here and kind of getting those. Multi-dimensional views into pipeline analysis is another, another big one. And then kind of a, a simple one that tells more of a story than you'd expect, really measuring out the count of new logo or expansion deals and the average sales price over time. So you're able to understand, are you relying on new logo acquisition versus not leaning into your install base enough as well as understanding, is there a healthy baseline to preserve the average sale price, the the healthy margin for the business over time? So those would be a few of my favorites. Are you building that stuff in Tableau or where are you building that stuff? Mostly Tableau. The goal is really to build everything we can in Tableau so we can get it out to the masses in a self-serve format and not allow our teams to scale for success.
1: Okay, let's go to our final segment, Quick Hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Josh, quick hits. Are you ready?
2: I'm ready. Yes.
1: <laughs> Number one if you could make any animal any size, what animal and what size would it be?
2: I am a tough one because I consider myself a, a naturalist, but if I ha, had to choose one, I'd probably go with a, a miniature tiger.
1: Ooh. Well, I feel like tigers are something that deserves to be miniature, just as long as it doesn't, you know, start eating all of our birds. That's, uh, that's, it's got to be an indoor. Again.
2: Indoor indoor pet, maybe?
1: Yeah, an indoor tiger. I like it. Do you have is there a RevOps misconception out there that you have?
2: I think a big misconception I see that's really emerged over the last few years is that automation and AI can can solve all your problems. Taking the time to establish workflows that fit your business's needs and being thoughtful in the way you feed your analytics tools with the right data sets and ask the right questions to understand risks and opportunities is, is critical. I I worry sometimes with the breadth and the strength of the tech stack that's emerged. You know, it can make people lazy in some respect and, and taking a step back and asking the right questions for the business health. Do you have a RevOps prediction for the next year? My RevOps prediction would be there's a, a major consolidation of of tools coming. On one hand, I think it's the customer's desire where I just I talk to a lot of my my friends and, and contacts in the industry and I think managing the current tech stack with a lot of niche solutions has become unmanageable in some respects and sure. I've also seen challenging economic environment we're in it's pretty ripe for bringing some of these tools together that consolidation of tools would be my, my prediction for the next year
1: it's funny you see you really see it um this sort of VC market landscape will really change that. But you really do see some of these unicorn tools where you're like two or three of these jammed together and you're like, this would be an extremely formidable thing. It would be very fascinating if uh, there's more interoperability with some of these things. But yeah, I like this part of you and I like this part of you and you guys should just merge together.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
1: If you weren't in RevOps or business at all or sitting hanging out with the, all the editors at the California and the great University of California. What do you think you'd be doing in your career?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. There's a creative side that, you know, I feel like I get to use in the RevOps job in terms of the way you explore business. I'd love to create content. I'd love to maybe take a step back, try my, uh, my crack at writing a novel. So I think doing something more in the creative realms would be a, would be a treat for me
1: what's your best advice for a first-time RevOps leader?
2: Best advice would be do your homework. Don't take shortcuts in terms of understanding the business. Building a network is critical and inviting feedback. In many cases, unless it's a truly unique business model, RevOps is about approaching opportunities and challenges that have often been solved before. And... I think the key is being humble and inviting that feedback and seeking it out. Many companies try to create their own bespoke alternative processes when there's absolutely no need for it. Ultimately, focus on building a network of reliable friends and resources that you can be engaging with to test ideas on. Love it. Josh, thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, you can go check out
1: usertesting.com to learn more about the cool stuff that they're doing Josh any final thoughts anything to plug
2: I'd plug user testing fantastic platform for delivering human insights to your business to being able to design stronger solutions better business processes I wanted to thank you Ian. really enjoyed the conversation and and the hour so really appreciative of the opportunity
1: awesome thanks Josh and uh, take care thank you
2: Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.